Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please hold your laughter and do not throw trash as the Hendrix experience is about to begin. So I got lucky and was able to sit down with one of my favorite comics, Adam Minnick. Um, Adam is not only a funny guy, but he's also a super nice guy. Uh, and he helped me a lot when I got started. Uh, due to what's going on, obviously, in the world, we did this interview via Facebook Messenger. So that's why he's going to sound like he's on the phone. But other than that, sit back and enjoy. And I'll talk to you after the interview. All right, guys. I have Adam Minnick with me. Uh, he is a comic. I would say that he is from not Cincinnati. I know you're not from Cincinnati. You're from Ohio, but the thing I find interesting is you're from Napoleon, Ohio, and Perth, Australia, and you kind of went back and forth. Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of, first 10 years of my life was uh, going back and forth between two countries, and uh, I luckily had two two citizenships, so I still do, but uh, yeah, it was a different childhood growing up. That and you know, knowing that now about you, because I let me preface this too. I Adam is a, uh, I would say, world-renowned traveled comedian. He's done comedy all over the United States, but not only here. He's also done comedy over in Europe. And uh, was it Dublin, one of them? I did um, Dublin, and also did in um, Sweden, uh, Stockholm, in Sweden. That is. How long have you been doing comedy? Oh my gosh, I I kind of lose track. Uh, I've been doing it for probably. 13, 14, 15 years maybe. Uh, it's been at it for a while. What got you into comedy? I think for most most of us, I mean, we all say it was kind of a calling all along. But what what got you along, you know, started in your journey? Um, what got me into it, um, I did a, I went to Xavier University and my, with my senior year, there's a thing called the Mr. Muskie pageant. And, uh, and so it was like a spoof on the Miss America pageant. It was all guys that did. Um, so for my talent, I did comedy. Uh, I wasn't I, I wasn't good at all. Um, and I didn't I didn't touch it probably for several months. And then I graduated, and a, a best friend of mine from college was still in college. Um, and so I, I needed I I would I guess I'd gone through depression in my life, and so I, I, there's probably like a month or two months I just lay on my couch in my apartment and go to work, come back, had nothing going on. I didn't really have a huge network of friends because uh, I transferred to Xavier my junior year in from um, the state of Indiana, and so I didn't really have a whole lot of people I knew in Cincinnati. So I, I there was a point in my life uh, I was on this couch, you know, lights were off in the apartment, TV was off. I was just laying there. I was like, you know, I have to. I have to get up and do something. Um, you know, I, I found what I enjoyed most was making other people laugh, was seeing other people happy. And so I thought, you know what, I'll go to an open mic and, and just get my just get my ass off the couch and do something. Uh, you know, keep my mind busy instead of just sitting there thinking about everything. Because uh, I, I have a tendency of overthinking everything, uh, and overanalyzing everything. I mean, it keep me up keep me up all night just thinking about my day and what's going to go on the next day so i went to an open mic and i bombed terribly uh, the funny bone in newport when it was inside of newport um the guy who was running the open mic his name is jeff jenna really great comedian he just said you know look just 
got you got the opposite problem a lot of guys that start out you you have the stage presence you just need to work on the material and so i felt like i had the stage the comfort down on the on the stage in a way uh i was still nervous but there was also a bit of comfort in it as well and then i just started working on material i did open mics everywhere i did them in laundromats i did them in bars and um coffee shops um anywhere you could think anywhere that had a microphone i got up Uh, as many nice as I could. All right, next question. Being a married individual, how do you hit open mics without your wife killing you? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, She understands that I I need this um, for, I guess, mental health in a way. Um, She knows it's important to me. Uh, but there are nights, like I'll, I'll come home from the road on Sunday and I'm like, Hey, I need to go hit an open mic tonight. And tomorrow she's like, look, you, you've been gone since Thursday. How about you stay home? And we just have a couple of nights just to ourselves. And then, and then she lets me go pretty much. She's okay with me going out, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then going on the weekends again. Um, there's some nights that. She wants to go out to dinner on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday, and I'm, I'm I'm all for that. I mean, it's kind of a it's a give and take. It's uh, having having an agreement. I know some comics that got married and their wives made them quit doing comedy, and there were some really great comics who ended up having to quit because the wives wouldn't let them do this anymore. Uh, my wife understands that she she wouldn't do that to me, and she wouldn't want to because uh, she says something that. She understands it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, so I think she's, you have to, you have to have a common understanding as a married couple on, on what is okay and what, what is okay. To, is it okay to go out? Is it not okay? Basically it's marriage. Have a common, have a common understanding um, as to what, what you're doing and why. I guess that's the best way I can put it. So, what is your process, Adam? Like going back, I know you had said before uh, about the writing part of it being one of the, and, and honestly, if everybody could write jokes, I guess this industry would be flooded with comics. But what is your writing process? I know everybody kind of has their way. I've heard of people using a list and then just writing down every word that comes to mind. Um, do you kind of have a clear, defined process of how you come up with your premise and then hone it down to the, the, the final product? Yeah, I, um, I write out, I have a yellow, I, have a, I use a yellow legal pad, notepad. And, uh, like if I, the first thing I do is if I have an idea and I'm not around my notebook, I put it into, I put the idea in my phone. I type it in. Um, I've got a file just for everything, jokes I want to work on. And then what I will do is I'll, I'll sit down at my desk and I will work on the joke. Uh, I'll, I'll write it out word for word, how I would say it. Um, and then I will, I'll go over it and I'll just cut words that don't need to be in there when it gets too wordy. You know, you, you know, how you call it, you say trimming the fat. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to trim the fat out, trying to cut it down, make it less wordy. Um, because Less is more when when you're trying to tell a joke. I mean, if you can if you can get to the punch faster uh, without using as many words, it, it's a stronger joke. It's a better joke. So then I'll I'll, I'll write it out. I'll go. I'll look it over. I'll cut stuff that's cut stuff that's too wordy. Cut out certain words I don't need. 
And then I'll go to Mike that night and I'll try it out and I'll record it. And if sometimes the, the punchline will get the joke, we'll get the laugh, and sometimes the premise, the the beginning will get the laugh. And I go back to listen, I'll go back the next day, I'll listen to the recording, I'll cut out stuff that didn't get a laugh. Now sometimes I'll give it two or three tries and then I'll work on it because sometimes the crowd just wasn't really into comedy that night. Maybe they were Maybe it was just comics. Maybe it was just, I don't know. I mean, I kind of give it a two or three chances. And if a, jo- if a joke doesn't work after three chances, I just get rid of it. But if it gets some laughs, I, I keep it. And I reword it. I rework it and see what happens in the next night at an open mic. That's that's the beauty. That's kind of the importance of getting up as much as you can. Because there, there are nights I'll miss an open mic and I'll go up. Let's say I miss two nights in a row. I'll go up that next night. And it just is a it's a feeling of it's a little awkward when I get getting back up after a two night break. Um, so I think getting up as much as you can works on getting comfortable on stage. I mean, again, it's like it's like weightlifting or or dieting. You have to do it every day in order to get better at it. Um, and then the other fifty is the other half of the. Uh, of the split would be working on material. I mean, you have to constantly be writing um obviously what we're going through right now there are no stages to get up but i i try to write every day i've missed a couple of days but I'm, I'm just you know you know when you're when you're quarantined there's not a whole lot to draw from um there's plenty on you can write on coronavirus and, and quarantine and all that there's there's gonna be material there but um getting out and exposing yourself to your surroundings to the elements kind of in, in your experiences helps build material so um I don't know. I think it's uh, I, I think it's a split, a 50-50. Get comfortable. Get up every night. That helps. That brings that comfort level. And then work on material. Write every day. Um, then try out that material at night. You know, how are you going to grow your set if you don't get, if you don't try it every night? I mean, my, my first goal was, obviously, after that first night of bombing, was I need to write one joke that works. And then it was like, I need to write two jokes at work and three jokes, and it keeps building, and you become addicted to it. Um, and then you're like, I need five minutes, and then I need ten minutes. And so you just keep building and building and building, and eventually it starts coming together, hopefully, uh, if you're doing it right. But I think I, one of the hardest things was writing a joke, like figuring out how to write a joke. It was one of the hardest things. Like, how do you how do you take a complete uh, a thought that you came up with, an original idea, and then turn it into a joke that people can relate to or understand? So, um, yeah, I don't know. A very long-winded answer. Uh, it's just 50-50, I think, getting comfortable and then getting material. That's that's the two most important things of, of, of getting a comedy. All right, I got a good one for you, too. Um, and I feel like every comedian – it's a very cliche question to ask, but I also feel like it's a good question to ask. What – was your worst heckle? Oh man, my for worst heckle. I've had I've had some uh, some bad ones. Um, like my act isn't me at all, so it doesn't it doesn't get people upset. But when I was doing a, a weekend in Milwaukee, uh, this guy had been heckling all the comics, and so when I was up, and he was a fat white dude with a beard, and I just I said you know just I right, would get a Santa Claus whatever, and the crowd. And when I did that, the crowd turned on me. Like, I couldn't get them back. They hated me because it made it look like I was being mean to him. But 
this guy was being completely rude to the other comics on the stage on, on during the show. So that one I didn't really get. That didn't that didn't bother me as much because it just it was it's just a weird situation. I did this show, another heckle I got, which which is why I'm not a fan of late show Fridays, which a lot of comics will say they don't like the second show Fridays. Uh, this club called CG's Comedy Club. Um, and when I was, the first show Friday was was fantastic. It was an amazing show. Couldn't go any better. Typically, first show Fridays are always good shows. Oh my God, I'm doing about, I'm doing about a 30-minute set, that first show. And second show, I'm doing a 30-minute set. Same material, uh, second show, the right side of the room, there was, it was not even half the people. We had, it was a small group for second show Friday. So the right side of the room was, they were laughing, they were enjoying it, but then there was a, a, a woman with an, a couple, the woman had joined this one couple, they were friends. And so the host was interacting with her during the show, which is kind of a bad idea because that kind of gives the crowd an understanding they can, they can talk. So I'm up there. She's talk. This one lady's talking. So I stop, like a, like a teacher would stop in a classroom when one of the students talking. And she's like, oh, "I'm sorry, man. I'm interrupting something." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm doing a show. There's a show going on." She's like, "Oh, okay." And then, then I continued. And then, not even five minutes later, she starts talking again. And I go, and I, I, I wait again. She's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." She goes, "I just had a private conversation." I'm, I'm like. Yeah, but you're having in the middle of the show. There's a show going on. People are trying to enjoy this. She's like, uh, well, I'm sorry for for being rude. And she was just kind of, she was not nice. And uh, so the whole, the, the 20 minutes of the rest of my set, she just stared at me. The entire, like, arms crossed, stared at me. And it was the most distracting audience member. Because, you know, you try to get past it, but as you're doing your, your show... You can only see that person off the corner of your eye, and you know they're just they're just they're pissed at you. Just glaring at you. Yeah, I was gonna say that's gotta eat at you. And she walked out during when the headliner got up because he pretty much told her to get out, and so she left. <laughs> you gotta love solidarity in comedy. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think your crowds are never gonna be the one crowd is never gonna be the same as the others. I mean, you might. Responses from the crowds, but they're gonna laugh differently at certain jokes. They're gonna laugh harder at other jokes that maybe the crowd did before that didn't laugh at as hard. Um, so you know, your a goal in com- one of the goals for me in comedy is you know, if I have a joke that works with one crowd and a joke doesn't work with another crowd, I I, I want to make sure my joke works. For every guy, it's consistent. It's a consistent laugh. It's just like if I have jokes that get last fifty percent of the time, I just cut them. I get rid of them. I'll hang on to them in case I want to use it again and maybe I can write it better. But I won't do the joke in my set until I know it's, it's it works at least eighty or ninety percent of the time. Um, consistency is so important in this business. Now you have a joke that I love. And, and speaking about comedy coming from, from life experiences, why don't you, if you don't mind, um, tell the story of, was it your father-in-law's birthday party? Oh yeah. <laughs> I love this. Oh, so the, the, the jo- I'll tell the joke and I'll tell you how I came up with it. Um, the joke okay. was that, Oh my, you know, I haven't been on stage in over a month, so it's hard to remember how these jokes go anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back and reread my notes. No, no, you're fine. I, I need to 
do this. This is a good thing to do. It's a good exercise. Um, I talk about how uh, we went to my, my father-in-law's, my wife's Puerto Rican and my father-in-law's Dominican. We went down to his birthday party. And at the party, it was just Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. And it was really a great time. And everyone wrote Spanish in his birthday card. And I decided to write, uh, I wrote, ¿Cuántos años tienes? Which is, how old are you? Uh, however, in in the Spanish language, be careful because there's a little squiggly mark that goes, goes above the N in años. So instead of saying, how many years are you or how old are you? I wrote, uh, how many anus do you have? <laughs> because in Spanish, años, with the, the little tilde sign, the little squiggly line above the N in años, uh, that means year. But then if you take that off, it's anos, which means anus. Hello. So that joke came from, like, my sister-in-law hates it when I mispronounce words on purpose, like Spanish words, and I, and I mistakenly said it was a birthday, uh, cumpleaños, which is, uh, cumpleaños, which is happy birthday, uh, feliz cumpleaños, which is happy birthday, but I said feliz cumpleaños, which means uh, happy anus. And so I took that, años and anos, and I turned that into that, I kind of turned it into that joke, but, um, but. Yeah, but that's kind of how that joke came about. I love that joke. <laughs> I love that. That's one of my favorites. It's, it's, it's always a, it's a good one to put out there. That's awesome, Adam. Hey, and real quick, I got three questions here uh, from some new comics that I'm working with. Uh, I said, come up with some questions. This is this is uh, a, a road. I can't come up with anything funny to say. I was going to say like a road worn rugged comic asking, but we'll go right into it. So the first question. Is it okay to drink before or during your set? What are you, what's your take on that? My take, um, you know, it, it's to each his own with that. Uh, I would, I don't drink at all before or during the show. Uh, I kind of, I leave, I'll wait to have a Guinness afterward or a bourbon after I'm done with the set. Um, so I, for me, no, because uh, I don't, a lot of guys, you see, you know, sometimes they go bananas or the clubs, they have open mic, and it's a guy's first time, and he's completely loaded. And he goes up, and he's a mess. He can't even, I mean, doesn't remember it. I mean, because he's so nervous. I, I, would, I never wanted that. I think what you need to do is focus more on doing, just doing a good job, just trying to do is, is, is trying to get laughs instead, instead of focusing on, you know, what kind of drink you're going to get. But then again, that's me. That's my personal opinion. I think whatever they're comfortable with, do it. Um, I'm not sure if that's a very good answer, but um, I think having one or two is nothing's wrong with one or having one or two drinks is nothing's wrong with that. I don't think so. Just my personal opinion, I wouldn't do it. Um, but uh, if that person needs one or two to kind of ease the nerves a little bit, that's that's fine. Yeah. Just don't drink so much where you go up and completely wasted and you can't even you can't even do the joke. Know your limits. Pretty much know your limits. Know when to cut yourself off. Absolutely, yeah. Know your limits. How long did it take from your first open mic to your first paid gig? And if you don't mind sharing, because I'll be politer than the person asking the question. If you don't mind sharing, how much did you make on your first show? Um, my first comedy club paid gig. So I I started. I couldn't. I went to it. When I first got up, and then when I first got paid to do a show was probably six months, but that was like a bar show. My first 
I guess my first break into a comedy club would have been, was go, uh, why this comedy club up in Dayton. Um, had my first hosting gig. I had just moved to Chicago, so I drove back to host. Um, and so I think I made maybe a hundred dollars to host um, for a Friday, uh, Saturday, and I think a Sunday. Time they're still doing a Sunday night show, a booked comedy club Sunday night show. So it might have been around a hundred dollars for Friday, Saturday. Um, so that took me maybe a year and a half to get booked at a comedy club. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. Like you, one of the problems in comedy is not, one of the hardest things is not comparing yourself to other guys that start out. So there's some guys that get a paid weekend four or five months into it. There's other guys that take a year and a half, two years. Um, I, I really, I focus on working clean and not swearing. So I think that, I don't know if that took it, took me longer. I don't know if that takes longer to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's about a year and a half, I think, year and a half to get my first pay gig. Kind of, could have been a year, but it feels like more like a year and a half. You know, that's the obvious question too that i pretty much forgot to i should have asked um and maybe this will be my because I've, I've i've held you for a long time so maybe this will be my last two questions um from me i'm gonna hit you with the heavy ones too man i got my guns loaded you are a clean comic and and, and i want to tell you um and here comes my proverbial butt kiss but seriously a lot of my favorite comics are clean um i love brian regan i mean he is yeah, and and he he's one of those comics that if you listen to him you laugh, but if you watch him you'll die. Like uh he he's and it's clean. I think every once in a while he may say hell or drop a, you know, kind of a more PG um I loved Bill Cosby's comedy, <laughs> not his dating techniques, but I loved his comedy because Bill Cosby made the Bible hilarious. I mean, you know, in the dentist when, you know, the whole, um, you know, open your mouth. And, and to me being able, because I'm going to be honest with you, and Adam can, can, can attest for me on this, I am not a clean comic. Um, and to be able to go up there and do a set stripped of any type of gimmick that's clean, appropriate for everyone, and to get laughs like you do is an art. And, and, and I do appreciate that. But oh, now you. that I've kissed your butt a little bit, and I'm going to ask you the same question that people have asked Brian Regan, why? What was your thought process when you chose to be a clean comic? You know, I... Um... When I started doing comedy, I wanted something. I, I wanted my parents to be able to watch me and like see me do a show and see I could actually do this. Um, and so I chose to work clean because I would never. I, I imagine every night that my parents like I, this is what keeps me clean is uh, I imagine if my parents were in the crowd, would they feel awkward because I. Um, I don't know. I, I, I also wanted to open myself up for more work, like at country clubs or, or corporate gigs that, you know, when you work clean, you, you get that. Uh, you get more work doing it that way. Um, 
I think there's more there's more money in working clean. I think obviously if you do corporate and country clubs, there's more money involved uh, in in whole in, in getting paid. Um, I had grown up watching Seinfeld uh, before it was actually the, on the TV show. Uh, it's just a stand-up. I remember my for a birthday, it had been like eighth grade. My mom bought me um, a VHS of Jerry Seinfeld hosting Saturday Night Live, and I watched his monologue. And I thought it was fantastic. I, I thought it was great. I got I got the jokes. I thought they were they were funny. Um, also. My parents listened to comics like, um, they didn't listen to a lot of comics. My dad listened to comics more than my mom did, but there was a, uh, a Danish, he was a, a concert pianist, but he was a comedian. His name is Victor Borga. Um, if you look up Victor Borga, spelled B-O-R-G-E, if you look up his name and then uh, his punctuation bit, it is, I think, one of the great, one of the smartest, funniest, well-written this. Um, he basically takes a book and he gives sound effects to different punctuation. It's the funniest. It's my favorite bit. Um, do yourself a favor. Check it out. Um, but they always liked it. And there's a, a, a Australian um, cross-dresser called Dame Edna. Uh, this guy would dress up as a woman, just very, very colorful dresses and makeup and with just a great performer. But my parents, my parents listen when they listen to comedians, it was also working clean. I feel like there's so many guys working dirty, then why not work clean? Kind of set yourself apart from other guys. So um, that's the other reason, I guess. Another reason. Well, it's it's true too. Clean comedy is uh, honestly becoming its own niche again, um, and with one of its kings being put in prison, uh, the throne is empty. <laughs> I have the all-important question. Um, I am a firm believer that most comedians, and I'm not trying to put all of us into a box, um, although a lot of people would think that people should put comedians into a box and then tape it up and then send it somewhere. But um, a lot of comedians deal with mental health issues. And I remember earlier on, and as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, we're going to touch on this then. Um, a few times that you, you even said that your wife and God love your wife, that, that is huge to have support, um, both for mental health, having someone that says, look, you know, I may not totally get what you're going through, but I'm here for you. Um, but, but also having a supportive wife that allows you your outlets. Um, and, and that is, that is really huge. So, I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of comedians are masters at coping with difficult situations and and with making light of darkness. And I just kind of want your take on how important your craft, your art, I mean, because it is an art. I, mean, I know for a fact, I will say this man works very hard at what he does. I've been to open mics and while the rest of us are just BSing and hey, and, and we're having that drink that he was talking about, this man, very pleasant. I'm not saying he's rude, very pleasant. Um, but he is sitting there with his notebook. He's attentive to every comic that gets up. He's respectful, but he works hard at what he does. And I just wanted to know, because you said it's important to your mental health, how 
this has helped you both with your comedic journey and how comedy has helped you with your mental health journey. I told you I was saving the, the deep one for the last, for the end. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, how has it helped me with my journey? Um, you know, when I was growing up, was, it was a very different childhood, and so um, I didn't really have a great network of friends. I didn't really have a lot of friends at all because I was – one side of the world and from the other. It's a lot of traveling back and forth. And so, um, you know, when I, when I first got up and did comedy, did stand up when I was dealing with depression, I mean, it was, to me, it was like, this is a no brainer. This is what I have to do. This is something I, I, even though the next day I woke up, I like, even though I bombed last night and I have no idea what, what I'm doing, uh, this is, I need this and I, this is fun. I enjoy, even though I pumped and did horrible, I love it. Would you call it chasing the dragon? Chasing the dragon. Or no, wait, wait, it's chasing. Wait, it was all about chasing the white rabbit. I'm sorry. Would you say that comedy is, is, is almost like when you do that first open mic, it legit is chasing a high. Yeah. It's, it felt like I've, I've never been like the world. I, I, have a beer or bourbon or wine. I mean, I'm not in, I don't, I don't take drugs. I don't do drugs or anything, but to me, there'd be, it would be like, guess would be taking a drug. It'd be like, it's a high. It's, it's an addition to it. I mean, I have to keep, I have to keep doing it. Um, so it, it's, it's having that is for me to be doing, doing comedy to mentally is it's such a, I don't know. It's it's in a way it's like therapy. In a way it's not. Like just getting laughs is great. It feels good. Um, maybe you know when you do your set, people who are watching might be having a bad day, and they 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 came to watch a show, and they feel better by watching you. And so um, I don't know. I'm not. I feel like I'm not answering this question very well. But um, I don't know. It's it's something that brings me joy, something I, I love doing, and hopefully when people watch what I do, they they have a sense of enjoyment too. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how else to explain that, really. Um, it's just trying, you know, one thing is, like, you see, like I mentioned earlier, how, like, um, guys who sometimes they progress faster and become more successful faster than you, and I heard Todd Glass on the interview saying that you could there's two ways you could go. You could be completely, because he started out when Daniel Tosh started out. So I thought Daniel Tosh has, a, has his own show. He's got these, he's doing these huge theater shows. He's like, I could have just sat there and been jealous and been hateful, or I could have taken that energy and turned it in, in, in worked harder. And that's what I've, I've seen guys that have progressed faster than me and way and more successful than me, but I'm not going to sit there and hate them and be jealous. I'm going to work harder. And, and through me working harder, it keeps me busy. It keeps my mind busy and, and it gives me a sense of purpose. Um, and so then that I, I, I apply that to my writing and getting up and, and doing better. And hopefully, and I don't know, that's what keeps me mentally straight, I guess, mentally right, um, mentally healthy. How have you adapted what you do during this wonderful uh, stay at home time?
And look at it. <laughs> yeah, Catholic, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, Yeah. Yeah. It, it. Well, and yeah. and that's where a lot of our our energy comes from is is feeding off of them. Like, uh, I mean, you can go out there oh and, and tell us um, and like get a bunch of laughs. I mean, earlier, like, it's, it is. It's, it's a legit. Like, like, I'm not a drug addict. So like, I, I, done my recreational um, drugs you know, there's only one I'm not a you know I'm a nurse I can't be a drug yeah. addict I've dealt with drug addicts but it right. legit you get such a rush it's almost it's 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 almost like a shameful form of people pleasing like we get up there and we get such approval from the audience just loving us it's addictive it, it's fame it, it's the addiction of yeah. fame in a way it, it is what it is I mean, there was a night that I did, a night, Tony, I did an open mic, and it was such a great open mic. I came home. I, I lay awake for two hours. I could not fall asleep. I mean, it was just this energy. This, it felt, it was such a, uh, what is it, the, uh, what does Gary Goldman talk about, the endorphins or whatever? Yeah, endorphin rush. The positive in the brain that just, in man, it was, I was at a, it was a high. It really was a high. Like, I've never, you know, I never felt that high before um so it's it's i mean until comedy came around for me and i and then when you have a great show it's just you want to go you want to go you, wanna, you don't want to go to bed yet you wanna, if anyone knows, anyone knows a comedy adam i'd like to thank you for talking to me today that, um i know i had to pay honestly, you a lot of money to do this um, i'd also like to thank you for dropping that restraining order you had against me uh, i don't take those pills anymore i don't know what happened to that um but how can people find you? You're a funny guy. I know you're on YouTube. Um, where can people find you, look you up, learn about you, stalk you, wh- whatever they can do? Okay, you can just go to my, uh, uh, the best way to do it. It's pretty simple. It's my website, www.adaminic.com. Uh, last name is spelled M-I-N-N-I-C-K. Um, also, my YouTube channel, If you, uh, there's a, a link to a video on my website, you can catch one of my, it's a short, it's like a clip from one of my sets. Um, and that puts it into my YouTube channel or just go on my YouTube, type in my name, you'll find it. Um, also real side note that on there, there I made a short film. Um, I know you talked about the, the, the Holocaust and that my, my grandparents were in the camps. 
uh, but they were Polish Catholic. My grandmother was in a slave camp. My grandfather was in a prison camp. And so this is based on a, a, a scene taken from a script I wrote, which I'm going to be working to turn into a feature film with a, a small little production company. Um, so you can watch that there. It's, I think it's, it's less than five minutes, but um, it's the first film I ever produced and directed that I decided to put out. So um, you can take a look there. But yeah, check out my website. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's probably the easiest way. Look me up on Facebook, friend me. Okay, I was wondering because I thought maybe you unfriended me. I was checking my MySpace yesterday and I noticed that you weren't there. You're just not my top friends. You're not in the top ten. Sorry. First Tom, then you. I know. I took it. Got rid of Tom. Dude, you can follow him on Instagram. Tom from MySpace. Can you really? Yeah, he's a wild life. Holy cow. It's It's a cool life he's got. I'm about to follow him. When, when we're done with this, I'm going to hop on there and follow him because that yeah. is a trick. Like, he was everybody's <laughs> friend. That was always the – you know what? If I made T-shirts, somebody who makes T-shirts out there, you need to make a shirt that says Tom is everyone's friend. It just had the old, like, Facebook thing. You know, I just kind of gave away a Forrest Gump-esque business idea. You know, the whole S happens. I'm still debating. My, my old podcast was clean. Because it was obviously mental health. I wasn't cursing at people. Like, get your fucking head straight. What the fuck's wrong with you? Um, and I'm debating on if I'm going to pull an Adam Minnick and keep this one clean. Uh, you know what? For you, I'm going to keep this episode clean. Oh, thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate that. Because this, and like I said, this is a really good dude. This guy, him and Rob, who I hope to get on here one day, my buddy Rob, helped me a lot when I was first cutting my teeth. Um I mean, they would, they would always come up and tell me like, dude, you're not funny. You should just probably stay home. And, <laughs> and well, I took their I'm advice wrong. one day. <laughs> you, know, you know what, Tony? Every, every comic needs another comic to help him out. I think just pointers on that. I mean, there's a guy out of Chicago named Brian Hicks. He's, 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 a, he's a fantastic guy. Great guy. Uh, he's always been a huge help with me. Another guy named Claude Stewart. He's based out of L.A. He was great when I first started when I first started featuring and I got fired at a club in Kansas City. Um, and then he really helped me out and he's always been very helpful. So um, I think it's, it's important to have some people in your corners. This is a tough comedy. It, people don't people who don't do it don't really they oh that seems tough, but they don't realize how hard it is. It's comedy can be a soul crushing thing to get into, but you, it's just about how how do you. You know, the whole thing, getting up after you get knocked down, how do you get up? Do you get up or you just you, you stay down? So uh, I think it's important to have people in your corner, have other people. So always happy to help you, man. You're a good, you're a good guy, Tony. Always happy to help you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I don't think people realize, one last side note, how often even the greatest of comics have went up and did a set and just bombed. Oh, Chris Rock talks about it. I mean, he takes his notebook up and then raises off, he, he bombs. I mean, every... Every every honest great comic would tell you they they still bomb. Dave Spade talks about bombing every other show, <laughs> which I don't think is true. But he's just like, yeah, I do nice. I don't do well. So, Adam, man, I appreciate you, brother. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. This this is great. 
And that was my interview with Adam Minnick. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to like and subscribe. I'm going to drop another episode uh, next Friday, and you can expect an episode every week. Next Friday, just to kind of give you a little teaser, we're going to be talking to a comic who not only does stand-up comedy, but is also a professional wrestler. Yeah, hope I caught your interest there. All right, well, hey, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next week.